her words to me were, if you tell anybody, I'll kill you. You know, if I like, if I tell anybody, it's my fault and my mom will hurt me. Hello, you are listening to NPE Stories. This is a podcast where NPEs can share their story. I am your host, Lily, and I found out I was an NPE through an ancestry DNA test that changed my life forever. NPE is a term that stands for not parent expected or non-paternal event. This means that one or more of our parents are not who we believe them to be. NPE Stories is a podcast where NPEs can share their story of what their original family was like, how they found out they were an NPE, and what their journey has been like since the day they found out. Welcome to episode 137. And today I am speaking with Bianca. Hi, Bianca. Hi, Lily. You know, I normally have a resource I share at the beginning of every episode. But today, I don't have a listed resource. And as we were just speaking, you told me that you might have a resource you want to direct people to. Could you provide the resource for this week's episode? Did you have, you said, a book or a podcast you wanted to share with our community? Sure. So on Spotify, I have a podcast um, that I'm going to be doing new episodes on. It's called Rewriting the Generational Script, and it's all about generational traumas, um, my NPE story. And I also have guests on um, and, you know, just talk about things that they've gone through in their childhood. I also have a book called Secrets from the Grave, and it's my um, autobiography, and that's available on Amazon and Kindle as well. Oh my gosh, that's wonderful. Rewriting the Generational Script, a podcast available on Spotify. And now Secrets from the Grave, we should probably get your last name out there if you're comfortable with that. Oh yeah, I'm very comfortable with that. To find you on Amazon. Okay, so it's Bianca, and what's your last name? Ramos, R-A-M-O-S. R-A-M-O-S. Oh, wonderful. I will look up your book on Amazon as well. Your your autobiography, correct? Yes. Oh, thank you for sharing that. And today we're going to hear your story or as much of it as you'd like to share. And I'm, I'm certain we can get your book to get the full details. Yes. But why don't you go ahead and... Well, if you'd like to start with your family of origin, we can take it from there. I would be much appreciated. Sure. Hi, I'm Bianca. Um, I was born in New Jersey, but raised in New York. So I don't have the typical term of birth certificate father. Um, My birth origin is kind of weird in a sense. So at the beginning, I'm the third child of six children. And we all have different fathers. None of us share a father. So when I was born, um, my mom was married to another man, but they were separated for years. Never, you know, and we know that he's not the father because when they separated, she was about 19 and he moved back to Puerto Rico. But she was still legally married. And in the state of New Jersey, a a baby cannot take the name of a father that just shows up and says, I'm the father of the child, if the mom is still legally married. It's, it's crazy. So I actually don't have a father on my birth certificate at all. So the father that raised me, um, my dad, I'll call him my dad. So I'll differentiate. My dad, for years, I had no idea that I didn't have a father on my birth certificate. And growing up, this is the only man that I knew, my father. And growing up was very hard. So to put, like I said, like you guys can always read the book. I went through trauma from birth to, you know, even through into teenage years. And I'll start with this. When I was born, um, a few months later, my parents had split. So my parents weren't married. And me and my two older brothers went to live with my mom 
in New York City. So we lived in uh, 10th Street and Avenue D. And if in, if you're from New York, that's a very, back in the um, late 80s, 90s, it was a drug haven. So we lived in not so nice neighborhood. We're going to say Alphabet City was the ghetto, the ghetto of New York City downtown. And it was there that my mom's drug use got very, very bad. And we were actually left in an apartment by ourselves, me and my two older brothers. Um, We could be left there for days at points. And my mom's best friend basically would look after us if she was on a drug binge. So this was all in a span of from about maybe turning one into turning two and a half, three years old. That's That was my life. That was my mother. And when my mom's best friend called my father and said, listen, you know, these kids aren't being taken care of. They're dirty. Your, you know, wife, um, well, he wasn't really married to her, to my mom. Your, you know, girlfriend is out doing drugs. You know, the kids need somewhere to go. So we, my father came to get us. We ended up um, staying at his parents' house for a while, but ended um, back in Jersey with my mom's parents. So I never had a home, like, at, the, at an early age at all. And when I went to live with my grandparents, we stayed there because, you know, my dad didn't have custody of us. And he had a life of his own. And it's, you know, you could say there was like trauma from both parents because my dad really just wanted to live his own life and it was easier for him to visit us in a sense. So he would visit us and, you know, then came my stepmom, who I love dearly. She's an angel and I love her to death. That's who I know as my mom. Like, you know, I call my biological mom the egg donor at this point. But when my stepmom came in, it was maybe, so I don't know how to explain this. My stepmom and my step, and my, my dad that raised me, my father, decided to get married. And in between that time, I was four years old. My mom abandoned me. She left in the middle of the night. And my grandparents, her parents, called my dad and said, I cannot take care of the children anymore. My father um, had cancer and, you know, she had three little kids to take care of. A mom just abandoned them. And he called my dad and said, listen, you, you have to take the kids because if not, then I have to put them up for foster care because I physically can't take care of them anymore. So there's your trauma, (laughs) more trauma. So we were abandoned by our, our, yeah, we were abandoned by our mom. We go to our grandparents' house and they can't, they can't take care of us. And I can't even blame them for that because she's going through with a husband that has, you know, cancer. She has three kids that are not hers. There's no real money coming in. And it was either pay me and to take care of these kids or, you know, you have to take care of your kids. So here's more trauma to this now because my dad wasn't the father of my oldest brother. So when my father took us, took custody of us, because my stepmother said, take your children, but she, you know, we couldn't take uh, my oldest brother. Because when my dad met my mom. She was already pregnant with my oldest brother, three months pregnant. And he raised him from birth. So, I mean, it was like this dynamic of, it was, I don't know what a normal family is, Lily. I don't, I don't know what a normal family is because when we were, it, when we were taken away, we had to leave my oldest brother behind. And I remember that day. I was four years old and I still remember that day. Because that day, 
my my um father picked us up and he had to sit with my oldest brother and tell him at the age of 8 years old I am not your father because I mean my oldest brother he's you know darker skin than us he um half cuban half Puerto Rican. So he is like your a quintessential Afro-Cuban. But I mean, we didn't see color. We didn't see anything. That was our brother. What did we know? We were kids. And, you know, my my father had to tell him, you know, Mar- you know, um, I'm not your father and I can't take you with me because I don't have a right to you. But I am going to take Jason and Bianca, you know, because those are my children. Or so, you know, he thought those are my children. And I remember that day because my, yeah, my, um, my second oldest brother, not the oldest, the second oldest, he was banging at the windows, banging. Like, I want my brother. You can't take me away from my brother. And I just sat in the car numb and crying. When we went to go live with my dad and my stepmom, we made her life a living hell. Because she took on two children who already had trauma in their lives. And she had to raise these children, you know, and try to build a relationship with them. I remember we used to tell her, we don't want your food. We hate you. Like, we made her life hell. And she would cry. Because she didn't know how to handle, you know, two traumatized kids. Plus, my second oldest brother, you know, had kidney um, problems. You know, he was always on the verge of dying. He needed a transplant. Like, this is all because of my mom's drug use. So, when I'm going to say... Eventually, like, we gained a relationship with uh, my stepmother and, like, you know, she's she's still in my life to this day. Like, she's my angel. I love her to death. We are, like, best friends. But it took time to deal with, you know, our hurt. So when I went to go live with my mom and my uh, my stepmom and my dad, I we lived in Westchester, New York. So that's, like, um, like past the Bronx. And... We live, we moved to Manhattan because my dad got a really great job and he was a super of a building. And I remember moving to the city. We had to, you know, brand new schools. My um, brother was getting great doctors now because of my dad, you know, making sure that he was healthy. And there was not a word uttered about my mother. We didn't know what was going on with her. She was still missing. And I think everybody in our life knew that she was just out doing drugs and she would show up eventually. That was the thing. She'd show up eventually. So here we living this, we're living this new life. I start kindergarten. My brother starts first grade. (laughs) And I remember when I, it was like a year later when I started first grade, my dad gets a call from my grandparents and they say, Hey, Lourdes is back in our lives. And I'll say her name because she's deceased. But Lourdes is, you know, back and she wants to see the children. And my dad was hesitant. This woman left. No word. I mean, I woke up the day that she disappeared, the the day after. And there were police in our house talking to my grandparents. Like, so this, like, how do you want to see your children now? So... My dad thought about it a lot, but he knew that, you know, he couldn't deprive us of our mother. Like, he wasn't going to do that. He wanted us, you know, to see our mother. Okay, so I remember going there. Um, It was two days before Christmas, and we had decided to go to um, the Poconos because we have a house. And when we were little, we had a house in the Poconos in Pennsylvania. And he said, let's go meet up with your grandparents, go see your mom. And then we're going to spend, like he was making it happy. Like we're going to spend Christmas in the Poconos and we're going to, you know, do stuff with you guys. And we're like, okay. 
And we didn't really comprehend going to see our mom. Like we were just like, okay, we're going to see her. And I think when we got there, we walked in the house. I said hello to my brother. We missed him so much. Um, And then she came into the room, my mother, and she had this like red hair. Now, I've never mentioned this. My mom was always a blonde and she had this red hair. And we looked at her strange, like, who is this woman with this red hair? And she comes up to us, my babies, my babies, how are you? Mommy missed you. Like she was hugging us and we stood there with our arms to our side while she hugged us. And I couldn't, I couldn't think at that point. And then she takes us into my um, grandparents' um, lanai, which they have like this. I don't know if you remember um, houses that have like the glass lanais. They have like this outside with this glass. And it, it's, they had a really nice house, a really nice house. So we go outside and in this like living area and there's a baby there. And we're like, who's this? And she's like, I want to want to introduce you to your new little sister. And in my four-year-old head was the four-year-old version of, and I'm sorry, Lily, you can edit this out. What the fuck? Like, where, where did this baby come from? You didn't want us, but you want a baby? Mm. That, that didn't bode well with me as a kid. So being in first, like now that I'm six years old, I'm like, whoa, like what's going on? So when we left there, like I I can't even tell, like it's a blur of what happened next because even at that age, I, I was so mad having like this other sibling and you didn't want us. Mind you, I have a really good relationship with my sister now, but back then it was like, how do you process that? You know? It's terrible. Yeah. So we went to the Poconos and I remember like our mom had gotten us gifts. I didn't really like see the gifts at that point. We took the gifts with us. So we opened the gifts in our room in the Poconos. And I remember my stepmom got a little jealous. Like she felt sad. Like we liked, I guess we were happy that she was back. And where did that leave her with a relationship with us? And I remember telling her, you know, that night, because I said to her, look at the dress that my mommy got me for her, for it was for Barbie. And she goes, she goes, do you like her presence better than mine? And I don't think she meant to say that. I think it just came out some sort of way. And I felt so bad, the look on her face. Like, I I could, couldn't even fathom that. Now, mind you, we didn't see my biological mother for years later, until years later. We had no relationship with her. Because in the middle of all this, she ran away again from the baby. So this woman would disappear. Oh my god. Yeah, this was our this was the life of her children, of every single one of her children going down the line. So now let's let's go down years later to when I'm in 6th grade cuz I didn't see her till after maybe 5th and 5th grade. It was 5th grade. So the summer of 5th grade, um my grandparents and my brother had moved down to North Carolina. And things seemed to have been going well. Even my mother moved down there and she was off drugs. She had a job at, you know, the local AutoZone as a manager. Um, She was still with the guy who um, we, I'm going to say my little sister's father, because Lily, she's also an NPE. That's not her father. Yeah. So, you know, at the time she didn't know that. But we, she was getting married to this man and she was like, I want the kids to come down. I'm doing so well. Even my grandparents were like, yeah, she's doing really well. Like you should bring them down. So in fifth grade, the summer of fifth grade, we spent the summer with my grandparents. And then 
that summer was really fun. You know, my mom was taking us everywhere. My parents, um, my, my, you know, my dad and stepmom went off and did a week thing in like Hilton Head by themselves. So we were with our grandparents. They went out and had like a little mini honeymoon. It was cute. And then came sixth grade and we find out that she's actually getting married. And she's like, I got a dress for you. Um, I want you to be one of my bridesmaids. Um, I'm so happy. And we were happy, Lily. Like we were like, oh my God, my mom is finally doing well. This is great. She's getting married. And then I had the bright idea of, wow, my mom's doing really well. I want to live with her. I want to be with my mom. You know, it was that longing for her relationship with me. Like, I want to be with her. And my dad was like, no. Like, he he was so mad. And, but that's the thing. Like, my feelings and me being happy trumped his mad. And he gave up and said, if anything happens, the first thing, the first slight of a problem, come home, please. And I said, I don't think anything's going to happen. Mommy's doing well. I'm like, okay, mommy's doing well. Lily, within a month of being there, um, I'm going to do the trigger warning for you. Mm-hmm. I'm going to talk about sexual assault right now. Okay. Um, so within a month of being there, actually living there after everyone had left, I was enrolled in school. Um, I came home and my mom was sitting at the two table with um, two gentlemen and there was a pile of drugs on the table. I knew what they were when I walked in the house. And she said to me, why don't you go to your room, do your homework? You know, mommy will be there soon. She's just hanging out with friends. I'm like, "Uh uh-huh. So I went to my room. I got dressed in my pajamas. I went to go do my homework. No more than 15 minutes later, my mom walks into the room. And she says, I need you to do me a favor. But before you do me that favor, I just wanted to let you know that you're just so pretty. You know that, mama? And I wasn't thinking anything. I was like, okay. And before I could even blink, Lily, two men were in the room. And my mom paid for her drugs with me. And the the most effed up thing is that she held me down. And then after they were done, she dragged me from the bed into the tub and said, you're dirty, you need to clean yourself up. And I just sat in the tub with the water running, numb. I was 12. And I literally just sat there like, what is going on? What did I do to deserve this? And I didn't tell my grandparents. I actually, when we didn't even, I didn't even go to the doctor to get checked, Lily. Like I, I went to bed that night. I cleaned myself up as much as I could. I, you know, went to bed. Um, My mom provided me with a pad and said, you know, you're going to need this, you know, nonchalantly, didn't give a shit. And I remember calling my dad that week and said, I want to come home. Can I come home? And he didn't know. I didn't say anything because her words to me were, 
If you tell anybody, I'll kill you. And I said, okay, like, you know, if I, like, if I tell anybody, it's my fault and my mom will hurt me. Like, you don't think about as a kid, oh, you won't do anything. I'm gonna, like, you, you don't have that. I didn't have that feeling. I had a feeling like my mom was really going to hurt me because if she was able to do that, what else was she capable of? For drugs. I think it was no more than a week later after I had called my dad that I was home back in New York. And from that time that I was in New York, throughout middle school and throughout high school, I literally just rebelled. I didn't care about my grades. I didn't care about anybody. And to me, sex was just like, who needs it? Who needs feeling with it, you know? Like, if that guy can do that to me, I can do that and then leave and not give a crap about anything. So, of course, like, I was going down this spiral and my dad even threatened to um, uh, basically put me in uh, military school. And because he didn't know what was going on. He just thought I was being like, you know, a shitty child. <laughs> like, he had no idea. And I kept all of that inside, telling no one. The first person I told was at the age of, I think, 18, 19, maybe. And I, and the only reason why I told was because I had actually, at 18, I got married very young to an older man. Um, I was working in, I was going to college and I was working in a hospital and I was, I was really like in and out of the house and the marriage ended badly because he was very abusive, horribly abusive to me. Um, it got to the point with this guy where I was, he beat me, I'm going to say unrecognizable. And I had to go to urgent care, um, emergency room. And I had to be in a isolation, like isolation room because the nurses didn't want me to scare the kids. That's how bad it was. I was finally able to like, it was then that I was like, where, where the hell is my life going? Like, where's my life going at this point? Like, I'm literally doing like, you know, how like my podcast, rewriting the generational script. I was at that time living generational traumas. My mom was married at 18. I was married at 18. My mom's husband was abusive. My husband was abusive. It was like going through the same downward spiral. And I remember I had, hadn't told my parents that I was married either because I was never in the house. So they had no idea because I was always out at a friend's house. I was always doing triple, double shifts at, you know, the hospital. And I sat with my mom, my stepmom, and I said to her, do you ever wonder why I was the way I was? Why my traumas affected me the way they did? And she said, well, I knew something was going on, but, you know, baby, if you don't talk to me or you don't talk to your dad, we can't help you. We don't know what's going on with you. And I remember we were at dinner at, uh, I couldn't even tell you, Mexican restaurant, West Side in New York City. I'm sitting down with my stepmom and I said to her, I was raped. And the words came out of my mouth. I was raped at 12 years old. And my mother held me down. And I, she looked at me and she's like, what? And I said to her, not by one man, but two. And she looked at me and tears 
And she goes, you have to tell your dad. I said, mommy, I was 12, 12. There's nothing you can do now. And the men that did it were illegal. They lived in a house next door. So they're probably not even there now. That house next door, you know, it was across the street from my mom, my, my biological mom's house. They would take in, you know, um, the Mexican immigrants who would come in. Um, and then they would, you know, come in and out of the house. So Lord knows where they are now. There's nothing you can do. He goes, oh, but you know, your, your father can do something to your mother. I was like, there's nothing you can do because she, no one knows where she is. I just don't want to relive it. I don't want to rehash it. I don't want to go to court. I don't want to do anything. I just want to tell you because it's been bothering me all these years. And she was like, you have to tell your dad, please just, please promise me that you'll have a conversation with your dad. And I said, of course I will. So me being in and out of the house, my dad had a problem with it. And, you know, me being out of the house, working, going to college, I was actually paying for my own college too. I felt like independent. And at that point I had rebelled so much, you know, my dad never said anything. He was angry, but you know, I'm an adult now. It's not like he can say, oh, you're grounded. Okay. <laughs> out of the house. And I remember he got so angry at me one day because I had come home late and he says to me, um, you're, you're going to end up like your mother. And those words pierced me. Like I, they used to like, even my grandmother used to say that to me when I was, his mother used to say that to me when I was like growing up, she would say, you're just like your mother. And, you know, but when he said that you're going to end up like your mother, I broke down his. So I wrote him an email and I explained everything that happened. I was in my room when I did this. So I wrote him an email. He's always on his email. So he sees an email pop up for me and we weren't speaking at the time. Him and my mom were in the living room. She says, please come outside. Your father's crying and he's upset. Now, I've never seen my father really cry before, not even at his brother's funeral. Like I, my father's like the macho man. <laughs> You've never seen him cry. And he literally looked at me and said, my baby. He was like, how could you not tell me this? Like he was, he had no words. He's like, I would, I'm going to kill her. I'm going to. And I was like, there's daddy at this point, what's done is done. And I am just happy that, you know, that I could tell you that I could tell someone because holding that in for so long, it was devastating. And he understood why now my life, you know, as a teenager, you know, preteen was the way it was. And the right then and there it was, he understood my pain for the first time. He really understood it. In the few, next few years, you know, I get married. Um, again, <laughs> I have two beautiful children. I'm going to say, listen, when I got married, I was about four months pregnant when I got married. And this is pretty much the end of my mother. This is going into her um, death right now. So my daughter's first birthday um, was on a Saturday, no Sunday. I had started a job that Monday so I was at work Monday, the new job, Monday, Tuesday. On Wednesday afternoon, I get a Facebook message from the neighbor across the street, one of the daughters. And she says, are you Bianca Ramos? And I said, yes, that's what it says on my Facebook thing. <laughs> and she goes, do you know Lourdes Sacevedo? And I said, yeah. And she goes, well, I, you know, I'm sorry to tell you, but she's dying. I don't, I haven't spoken to her in years. I really don't give a shit. Um, I'll see what my brothers say if they want to go see her, but I really don't want to see her. And that was my attitude at that point. 
So she goes, okay. I call my oldest brother. We, and at the time we really didn't have a great relationship. He goes, I said to him, listen, you know, I get this Facebook message. I don't know how true it is. Uh, Mom's dying. And if you want to go see her, that's totally up to you. But I really don't want to go. Now, my brother's very sensible. He's like, I call him my Yoda because he really is my Yoda. Mm -hmm. Uh, He basically like we, in a sense, my oldest brother, even though I didn't live with him, we're closer than I am with my other siblings. Even the one I grew up with, I'm closer to my oldest. And he says to me, you are going to go home. Do whatever laundry you have to do. Gather whatever money you have to gather. And you are going to tell your job that Thursday and Friday you will not be in because you need to go see your mother. You have to say to her what you need to say to her. Because you're going to regret it for the rest of your life if you don't. So make your plans. Right then and there, I was like, fine, let's do this. You know, let's, I, let me go home. Now, I call my husband on my lunch break and I say, listen, this is what's going on. He was so upset, furious even, but he really didn't understand why I had to do this as well. So he was like, she hurt you. She left you. I don't want you to go. You know, I, you know. I can't fathom you going. I don't want you to get hurt again. Like he was protecting me. He didn't want me to go. And and I understood that, but he didn't understand trauma in his life. He had a really good life. He had his two parents, you know, it was the cookie cutter immigrant, you know, um, family who, you know, made it in America. Like he had a really great life. I came from trauma. (laughs) I didn't have the cookie cutter. I didn't know what that was was very upset. We, you know, cried for hours, but he understood. So I packed a bag. I got money ready um, for this trip because we drove from my aunt picked me up that day at my job. I was in Long Island um, and we drove from New York to New Jersey in the middle of New Jersey to go to to meet with my brother, basically. So I met with my two brothers. My my other older brother was there and I call it what I call is the road to perdition. We were in a car in the middle of August. It was the beginning of August. It was hot with no air conditioning and the windows down. Lily, I was sweating. (laughs) And North Carolina heat is no joke. So we drove in through Virginia and, you know, we got, so we left New Jersey. I'm going to say we left New Jersey around like seven we got there at 7.30 in the morning the next morning. My brother said, we got to my grandmother's trailer because my grandmother was living down there. And she wasn't there yet. She was actually in Florida on vacation. And she said, here, just let yourselves in. I'll be there tonight. Um, get some rest before you go see your mom. And we're like, okay. So we get to the trailer and my brother says, we have one or two options. We can go see her now, get it over with. So we can come back and, you know, eat, have dinner, you know, just relax. Or we can take a nap, eat, and then go see her. And I was like, let's get this over with. So we all took showers. We didn't wait. We took showers. We got dressed. We got ready. And we went to go see her. When we pulled up to her house, I don't know, Lily, if you've ever smelled the smell of death. It smelled like death. I worked in a hospital. I know what death smells like. And it was like as if her body was rotting and she was just still talking. It was the most depressing time. I couldn't even speak to her because she was just nonchalantly, oh, you know, I don't think you guys had a bad life. You know, you guys have children now, you know, college degrees. Like she did not give a crap what she did to us. She didn't care. There was no, I'm sorry for what I did in my life. And you want to know what? We gave it to her too. We told her, 
this is the last time that you're going to see us and understand something. Your grandchildren will never know your name. We never want to think about you again. And the only kindness that we can give you is your last rites. I will not deny you that as a Catholic. I will not do that to you. I said, after I finish with you here, I'm going to the church and asking a priest to give you your last rites. And when my brother asked her what happened to me when I was 12, she had the nerve to say, your sister was a little whore. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's mom. So when we left, I remember that by during the time that we were there, I was running out of the in and out of the house crying, calling my dad, calling my mom, calling my aunt. And them just saying, Bianca, get out of there. Just stay outside in the car. You, you know, already seen her. And I just kept running back in. I don't know what, like, why? Like, I've been hurt enough. Like, it, it should have been enough. So my oldest brother just said to him, just said to my mom, listen, I've already made peace with the fact that what you did to us. And these two children right here came to you because they needed to make peace. And you've denied them that. So understand that these two children right here, you are no longer going to hear from them. And I hope that you're happy because you've dealt your cards and the cards you dealt end up with you being alone and dying alone. And we just left. And when my brother was driving away, he stopped at the, on the side of the road and he said, you know, I, I don't regret anything that happened in this life. Because if not, if it didn't happen, I wouldn't have you two. Because we were the original children. And we were like the three musketeers. At one point. And he was like crying. Like I said, the men in my family don't cry. <laughs> but that was a moment that he just let, broke down. So fast forward, you know, my mom died two weeks later, September 19th, 2012. And I didn't cry. And I don't know if that makes me a horrible person, but I, I didn't have... I don't think I had emotion left to give her. Now we're going to get to the NPE part of it. So all these years after I had my, so I had my daughter um, in 2019, my, my second daughter in 2019, um, after many years of trying to have another child, I had my little miracle baby. And so 2019, um, I have her and she was born on my mother's birthday, my biological mother's birthday. And I saw that as a sign of something and I don't know what it was. And I said, that's so weird. Like they have the same birthday. I don't know. And I, I used to say that it was like her making up for all the hurt that she, you know, caused us like it was her little gift to me I guess and you know it, it's just a weird coincidence that she was born on my mother's birthday September 10th and so daughter's born 2019 then what happens the pandemic and I was so depressed but I think the pandemic woke something in me because I started, I signed up for Ancestry, but I didn't do the test. In 2020, I didn't do the test. But I was looking through, like, I, you still had, you were still able to, like, access, like, certain archives and stuff like that. So I was just looking things up. And my aunt had actually taken, um, in 2018, I believe, the Ancestry DNA test. Because she wanted to know, like, with the Puerto Rican heritage, what pertained in that. And in her family, 
Um, she also has like a great, great grandfather that's like Chinese. So she said, oh my God, we're 10% Chinese. And I was like, oh my God, maybe if I do it, I'll have the Chinese gene too. And I was, I, we just thought that was like really cool. 2020 rolls by. I'm still, I'm on Ancestry, but I didn't do the really do the test. It wasn't until late September, October of 2021 that I did the my heritage you would think i would do the my the ancestry but someone told me why don't you do the my heritage i was watching videos on my heritage um, about like the stories about people finding out about you know long lost family and i used to love the show long lost family on tlc it was like my favorite thing ever and i used to say to my brothers all the time could you imagine if that like happened to us like you know if dad really wasn't our dad <laughs> yay so <laughs> Little did I know that that was a little foreshadowing about all of that. I took the MyHeritage test and I get the results. And I'm like, okay, you know, Iberian, which is um, Spain and Portugal. Um, we say that those are the colonizers of Puerto Rico, of course. You know, we get it. My African is there. I'm like, yes, we know that too. There's African heritage in all Spanish cultures. Then comes the 25% Mesoamerican and Andean. And I looked at that and I said, that does not match up to Puerto Rican heritage. That is, you know, South American, Central American heritage. So I said, there's no way, you know, mom wasn't, you know, South American or Central American and dad definitely wasn't that I know of. And every single name that popped up in my DNA matches had nothing to do with my family, the Ramos side of my family, which is the dad that raised me. So I tell my aunt, I said, Didi, I got my, um, I got my results. And she goes, um, send them to me. I said, I'll do one better. I'll send you the, um, login information. You can just log in and see. She's like, okay, that's, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. I'm like, oh. so she takes her results from ancestry, puts them up between my results to my heritage. And I wouldn't think that they would be off by anything. She goes, Bianca, where's your Chinese? I said, I don't know. There's no Chinese on here. I said, maybe it was washed out, you know, down the generation. She's like, maybe. She goes, but what's Mesoamerican and Andean? I'm saying, and I said to her, that's like South and Central America. She goes, your mom definitely wasn't from there or have any heritage there that I know of. So we're trying to like make sense of everything. Like, where does this fit in? So then she looks at her results and my results again and goes, Bianca, I can say by looking at your results and looking at my results and the names that come up in your DNA matches, that my brother is not your father. And those words like stung. I was like, what? And I think I kind of, I don't know, like I think I kind of had a gathering because at 17, I'll, I'll say this, at 17, I did ask my father at one point, how do you know if I'm really yours? Like you knew how mom was because she had cheated on him too, but he never doubted. He said that I was his. He said, I never did. He goes to me, you have some similarities to me, but I never thought about it. And I'm like, okay. But when I told him, I told him the same day that I got the results, I said, dad, I have no Chinese. And it says here, Mesoamerican and Andean. He goes, that's not in my family. And I said, that's not in mommy's family. And he goes, so what does this mean? And I said, I think it means that you're not my dad. And I said it just like that. Like I said it like direct. And he said, it doesn't matter. Like he changed. Like there was no rejection, no nothing. He was like, it doesn't matter. It's a technicality. He goes, I raised you. You're my daughter. And I said, I know, but you're not my dad. How does he go? I go, how do you, how are you okay with that? 
He goes, he goes, because I love you. Like, it doesn't matter. But it's mattered, Lily. It mattered so much. Because even through the grave, my mom was just causing more harm. And I'm not saying she knew. I'm just saying, like, you know, because of her drug use, my dad could be anybody. And that's what I'm going through right now. So, my aunt said, I need you to do me a favor. Take the ancestry test. Take the ancestry test so that I can put myself on, um, what is it, public? Because she had herself on private. She goes, and I will see what happens if I pop up. Because this could be a mistake. And I was like, DNA, like, what do we always say? DNA doesn't lie. Doesn't. There's no mistake. So, but I did. I took the ancestry test. Ancestry didn't get the first test. I'm not sure why. So I had to take it again. And when I got the results, it was March of this year. When I got the results, I said, Titi, I got the results. I'm going to send you the login right now. I want you to go through my um, DNA and see, you know, match it with yours. So she looks through the actual um, countries and out pops. There's no Mesoamerican or Andean, which was weird. It was um, about 16% indigenous Puerto Rican. So I said, wait, that's you and me. We're indigenous Puerto Rican. We both have that. And I said, so what happens is that my heritage doesn't differentiate indigenous Latino culture. They, they measure it up to Mesoamerican Andean, but they don't understand that in Puerto Rico, indigenous Puerto Rican is Taino Indians, the original settlers of Puerto Rico which have nothing to really do with Mexican um, native culture, you know, or Central American or South American. It's totally different. So I'm not sure if my heritage really understands the differentiation of that, but they had the Mesoamerican and Andean basically as if they, you know, the indigenous Puerto Rican was that. So I was so confused. I was like, what is going on? So that could mean that my dad is my dad. And, you know, they're just, you know, have a different way of measuring things. She goes, probably, I said, put yourself on public right now so I can see if you pop up in my DNA matches. Now, my half-sister pops up, of course. Um, That's the one who I told you was an MPE. And all of a sudden, I, you know, I go to my matches. I say, Titi, what does your matches say? And she says, um, you know, your cousin pops up. I see some family that I know, but you're not on here as a niece. I was like, ah. So then she calls Ancestry Customer Service and asks them. She goes, can you look for Bianca? Bianca Ramos, Bianca Nicole, um, my full name is Bianca Nicole Ramos. Can you look for Bianca Nicole Ramos? And they're like, yeah, of course, let's, let's see. And they call, they told her straight, a Bianca does not exist in your DNA matches. And she goes, what does that mean? She goes, she is not linked to you at all. She's not a, a DNA match. So then my aunt asked him, well, what if her father, like, you know, my brother took a ancestry test, would she, would they show up together as father and daughter? And, you know, ancestry was very direct with her. She said, well, if you are your brother's sister and your other brother's child is showing up as your niece, She's not going to show up as his daughter. And my aunt was like, thank you. And like hung up the phone, called me. And she was like, I don't know what to say. Like I, she was speechless. 
So I said to her, there's nothing really that you can say. It is what it is. We knew, you know, going into this, what was going on. And it is what it is. I called my dad to tell him that it's confirmed. You know, I didn't show up as Titi's niece and Alex doesn't show up as my cousin. And, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's confirmed. And he says to me, I still love you. You know that you're my daughter. He goes, and if you need, I know you're going to want to find this man. Please understand that I am okay with you doing what you need to do to get closure. You know, I'm here for you if you need me. I'm your father. I love you. This doesn't change my relationship with you. You are my child. Now, you know, like I said, I'm I'm like this. What is this? Like, I feel like I am on one of those episodes of Long Lost Family. Like, I couldn't believe. I was sitting in a Starbucks, Lily, crying my eyes out with my head down on the table. Like, I couldn't understand at this point. So I was working with a DNA search angel um, who was basically like she had she was also an MPE and she was going through things. So I had to stop working with her. I started working with the, the actual DNA search angels. They broke it down and they think that they found a half aunt. So I have been in contact with this half aunt and she hasn't taken any of the tests. Um, We just kind of gathered it because there was one family line that had two brothers that matched up to the timeline of knowing my mother and were living in the same vicinity as her mother in Brooklyn at the time. And she was went to Brooklyn a lot, especially um, in an area called East New York. And so I actually had reached out to this half aunt because she was already a Facebook friend from, I had found like cousins and stuff like that. And they started adding me. And I said to her, hey, so I think that you may be my half aunt. Um, I don't know if you have a half brother. And if this makes any sense, and lo and behold, her father had an affair, which resulted in a half-brother who she doesn't really know anything about. She just knows that her mother forbid her father from seeing this woman again and the child. So she doesn't really know anything much about this guy. And I know nothing much about this guy now. It kind of came to like a dead halt. So in a nutshell, I may never find information about this guy. Because I don't know if it's just fate telling me, stop, it's not worth it. Don't get hurt anymore. Or... It's just that case of dumb luck, you know, dumb unluck. (laughs) It is what it is. I mean, I think me finding out this information, I'm going to say made me realize that I need to work on my mental health more. I need to work on being a better me and understanding that you know, I am a good mom for a reason because my mom wasn't a good mom to me. I'm trying mm-hmm. to be a better, you know, wife than my mom was. And it's like a journey when you find out stuff like this. Lily, I'm sure <laughs> you went through it when you found out. And I know I've heard your story and, mm-hmm. you know, everybody handles everything differently. I don't know if I'll ever find this man. I'll be honest. When you get those emails, 
telling you you have new matches, do you jump to log back in or or where do you stand with how you feel about that right now? I jump. (laughs) I jump because, I mean, even though I do feel like it's depressing, it really is. Like you went through your whole life thinking that this was your family to, I mean, I'm going to call myself accidentally adopted because in a sense, I was raised by a stepmom and a dad who wasn't my dad. So yeah. I lived with an entirely different family who I love dearly. I mean, I gravitated towards like my stepmom's family a lot. They were very close with me. They loved me to death. Her parents were like my favorite people. And I mean, I love my, my dad's parents, of course. Yeah, I don't want anybody to think like that. But I gravitated towards my stepmom's family a lot more. Um, but when I get new matches... I literally look, I'm like, okay, third cousin, fourth cousin. Okay. Like I, I get it. Like, but I'm always wishing to see if it's a first cousin. Cause I do have a first cousin on there, but that first cousin is not an actual first cousin. Cause it's, cause I don't think like if anybody hearing this, like for the first time understands, like you would understand Lily, like this is just, um, what do you call that? Uh, when they tell you like it's a first cousin, it's not necessarily a first cousin. It's just someone very close in the family. Close it could family. be, yeah, it could be a first fa- cousin, or it could be a great half aunt, or it could be a this. Like, there's just like a lot of things that go into that, and I haven't been able to reach out to the person that actually handles that account. Like, I reached out and then never got an answer. Mm. So I'm like, okay, this is great. Like, I don't really have an answer. But the half aunt that I am talking to, that we believe is a half aunt, she's been welcoming. She messages me every day. She, like, you know, whenever we can, we video when we can, video message when we can. Um, She lives in Florida. um, And she says to me, you know, you have a purpose in life. You know, you found out all this information, but it's, it's not your end. It's not. Yes. Like this is like horrible information and, but you will get through this. This is not the end of the world for you. Like this is, this is just something that happened in your life that railroaded for a minute. But you're going to be fine. If you are surrounded by people that love you, it makes it so much better. Like it makes it so much easier to get through the these things. I know with like in some instances, like with family, you have like if my mom was still alive, she wouldn't have given a crap. She would have been like, it, it is what it is. Like, you know, it's probably high at the time. Your dad's probably a drug addict. Like this, that's how my mom would be. And, you know, I kind of get Jeanette McCurdy, the actress who wrote the book, I'm Glad My Mom Is Dead. Like, when she, like, people were like, how could you have that title? Like, I kind of understand her book. I kind of do. Yeah, like, I can't say that, oh, yeah, I'm glad my mom is dead. I kind of wish that she had a better life. Like, she she went through childhood trauma. I'm not going to lie about that. She went through childhood trauma. Her mom was 18 when she had her. Do you see the generational 18, 18, 18? Her mom was 18 when she had her. And she used to tell her, you have to tell everybody that I'm your sister. How do you say that to a child? I don't get it. And her mom and my grandfather weren't married. Like they they had divorced a long time ago. My grandparents that um, I had lived with, was my mom's stepmom and my grandfather. So, I mean, there was just so many little things here and there that caused my mom through her downward spiral. So, yeah, she got into drugs and became this horrible person because of her own traumas. Mm -hmm. It doesn't excuse what she did to me, but let's let's face it. You have one or two choices in life. And how you build from your trauma. 
you can go through a downward spiral like my mom did or actually get up, wake up, and do what you need to do to make your life better. Two choices. I chose the choice of wanting to have a wonderful husband now, two beautiful children, and just waking up every day going, I am better because of my trauma. I'm a better person right now because of everything that I went through. And I can't say, we can never say, oh, I wish this, I wish that. Because you want to know what? How do you know what kind of person you would be? This is who you are today. Be happy with the positive things in your life. Because they trump the negative things in your life. They seriously do. Well, Bianca, you have um, shared uh, a lot today. And I had no idea about the immense trauma you have suffered as a child. And thank you for sharing that today. That's hard. And I, I understand your mom also experienced trauma and you understand that, mm -hmm. but it really does sound like you have worked at breaking that intergenerational trauma, that pattern in your yeah. own life. Yeah. If people want to hear more about your story, how could they best contact you or where should they go from here? I am on Instagram. So I, my um, Instagram name is the makeup Bianca underscore NPE. Um, and you can also email me at um, B as in boy N E R 1156 at gmail.com. <sighs> Oh, Bianca, thank you so much for sharing this today. You are really, you've really just been on my mind and on my heart this whole time. I honestly just sat here in silence just because I wanted to give you the space to share. Mm -hmm. And thank you for sharing everything you did today. I, I thoroughly appreciate you and I'm so grateful you were able to share. Thank you. You're very welcome, Lily. Thank you for having me today. These stories are here for us to identify with. If you are an NPE and would like to share your story, email npestories at gmail.com. You do not have to give any identifying information. If you are an NPE and would like to share your story, I'd like to hear from you. Subscribe to this podcast to hear more. Come heal with us.